Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. It's Let's ride. For the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What's going on, Incline Dodgers listeners? Hope you're all doing well out there. This is Kevin Klein here. I'm in a good mood today, and no, it's not because Major League Baseball is back or anything, but I'm just in a generally good mood. But help us out. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and make sure you're subscribed to the Incline Dodgers podcast already. Can't wait for the 2022 season to commence, but here we are. Let's get everyone else in here just to say hello. I'll start with David Rosenthal. What's new with you? Not much, Kevin. Uh, There was progress made uh, between MLB and the Players Union, so I'm kind of riding that high for a bit, uh, being optimistic. Uh, They're not going backwards. They are going forwards, albeit slowly, but uh, that has me in a good mood today. All right. Well, that's a start. Jake Reiner, what's new with you? I'd have to agree with David on the excitement that they're actually talking to one another. That was not happening a few weeks ago. So that's, you know, the, the, the bar is very low here for what we can get excited about. But uh, honestly, I'm just, uh, I'm just ready for uh, the NFC championship game between the Rams and 49ers on Sunday. That's what I'm pumped for. (laughs) All right. We can talk about the Rams later in this episode, but since the MLB lockout talks were on your guys' mind, we can start the show off there. And yes, they did meet the players and owners met twice this week. And I think I read they're meeting a third time this week. Can't confirm that part, but regardless, two times talks are progressing, but I will say I'm not as optimistic as you guys might be. To me, it seems there's still like a lot of work to grind out, but here we are. The one thing that kind of is irritating me is that we heard late last week or earlier this week that MLB itself is cool with canceling some games to start the season. Yeah, that is, that is quite um, disturbing to say the least. Uh, obviously you don't want to see 
games get canceled or even spring training shortened, uh, you know, it's, you know, I'm sure the, the players obviously don't want that either because that's their, that's their livelihood and, and cutting down games is, is never a good idea, especially, you know, what would happen in, in 2020 and all that. So hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully they can get something done before then, and they can get off like a good couple of weeks of spring training so we can get this, uh, this season on track, but um, they are coming together on a few issues like the designated hitter. Um, that's probably going to go into effect. Uh, also they're talking about expanded playoffs. Uh, it's, kind of they're kind of at odds as to how many teams should yeah. be let in and whatnot but there's that that they're on board with um things that yep. they're so far apart on are you know uh when players can be eligible for free agency that seems to be a big issue between the two sides uh also arbitration seems to be a big issue so they're still far apart on on the financial side of things yeah you mentioned the expanded postseason and we talked about that an episode or two ago what is kind of interesting is that the league wants to do a 14 team expansion and the players want to do a 12 team expansion. I'm on board. I said it last time, just expand the playoffs. And it seems like writers are kind of on the same mindset as me. If you can get more teams competitive, that's going to increase revenue ultimately because more fans are going to give a shit about their team. And yes, it kind of will reward cheaper owners in a way because baseball at times is a crapshoot, but at the end of the day, I just want more fans to follow Major League Baseball because I kind of feel like we're becoming a cult as opposed to NFL and uh, international sports where there's just so much pride. Now baseball is, I feel like half the league is in it in the end. And then the other half of the league, the fan base is just like, they don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think they actually did make a lot of progress. Uh, the two things that stood out to me are a pre-arbitration bonus pool for players. Uh, what that means is the best young players who have yet to reach arbitration would get bonuses. Uh, so like for instance, Juan Soto last year, I don't think he's hit arbitration. He would get a bonus. And what they're, they're, they're far apart on the dollar value of that. I believe the players union is seeking a $105 million bonus pool and the league just offered 10 million bonus pool. So easy solution there. How about 50 million? Okay, let's just let's just slice it right in the middle, go to 50 million, boom, done. Second thing that I'm optimistic about is MLB actually did offer to raise the minimum, the player minimum. They offered 615,000, uh, which I believe the minimum right now is 550,000. I think it's 575. 575. Okay. Yeah. So a little Which bit of a low ball from MLB. Very low ball. Cause I think the players want 775. Yeah. And that's what I was going to get to next. I, you have about 700,000 minimum. You just meet you, again, you just meet in the middle of what two sides want. Uh, and then you're done. And look, I, I think that's eventually what's going to happen. I think they're going to come together at least to some degree in terms of the dollar value. But this is progress because they're both kind of just jockeying for position at this point, but they've kind of agreed to that these things are going to happen. Let me ask you this question. What do you guys think about the idea? Because Jeff, uh, uh, Jeff Passan was reporting uh, uh, on that um, pre-arbitration bonus pool that you were talking about, David, where the top 30 uh, players in terms of war will, will be, I guess, eligible for that pool money. What do you think about, basing that on war and what war do you go with? Do you go with baseball reference or fan graphs? So 
I guess that's that's a bit of an issue too. Yeah, it's that's where it gets a little gray area for me because it's you know I don't think there's one good stat or way to measure a player. I think you need to incorporate all of these stats, value to the team, and even intangibles that you can't measure, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. So I I don't know how they're going to do it, but that seems like a, a pretty fair compromise. That's a pretty much all encompassing stat that the players. Uh, have started to go by recently. Uh, obviously, front offices are, are are valuing that quite a bit. So I think that's fair in this in this context. Is it Passan or Passan? I don't know. I don't really like either pronunciation. Just it's a weird. Passin. It's a weird name. Okay, yeah, because I pause every time I say it because I'm I don't know which way to go with it. When he's on MLB Network because he hasn't been canned like Ken Rosenthal, the interview <laughs> Jeff Passan or on ESPN. Yeah, I mean, nothing really else to add in terms of the lockout. I just, I think to me, the most important things ultimately are get the players a better minimum salary because you just hear so many horror stories of these guys struggling to get by and having to crash at their friends' apartments and stuff. Well, the real issue is is not the minimum; it's it's the minor league salary. Yeah. That that is the problem. Uh, you, you're minor not going to hear housing. Yeah, you're not going to hear any of these rookies, you know, making $550,000 complain about that. I promise you, you're not going to hear about that. You are going to hear about minor leaguers complain about not having anywhere to live, living out of a van, eating ramen noodles. Uh, and that's not okay. That's, I mean, what, what are we doing here? Uh, they need to figure this out. I don't know how, what the solution is, uh, but they need to step it up. And they did take a step in the right direction. They are going to provide housing to minor leaguers now. Uh, so it is a, it's going to be a slow battle, but they're in the right direction on that as well. And then the other issue that I just don't understand why it's really that big of an issue is the increasing the luxury tax threshold, because most of these teams to begin with aren't even over the luxury tax. They need to implement a salary floor. It's plain and simple. You look at a team like the NBA or a league like the NBA, if you don't spend a certain amount, you're basically penalized. That's uh, I, I would be in favor of that, but you're not you're not going to get a majority of owners who want that because, you know, well, the owners are not going to vote on something that sets them, you know, that that when, enforces them to, to spend. You when know, you've got it's, the it's, Dick Monfords out there acting like they're a poor man and that owning the Rockies is a curse. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. So I wouldn't hold your breath for that one. <laughs> OK, that's covers that subject. Let's talk some Dodgers. There were some front office moves, nothing too dramatic here, but I did want to throw these out there. The first one, the big one is Brandon Gomes has been promoted to the Dodgers general manager. He will now be the 12th GM in franchise history. He is the first GM, obviously, since Farhan Zaidi, who left for the Giants back in 2018 offseason. I don't think anything's going to change other than, you know, Congrats, you get a better title change, and maybe this sets you up, Brandon, in the future where you could become the president of baseball operations somewhere. But I think that Andrew Friedman was essentially protecting one of his top guys because earlier in the offseason, the Mets actually tried to snag Gomes from the Dodgers and make him their GM. But I mean, didn't we, didn't we decline their request to interview him as well? I believe so. Yeah, that's pretty funny. But I mean, the way that this Dodgers front office works and I don't know if it's common throughout Major League Baseball, but obviously Andrew Freeman's at the top, but they work as a team, and you can go on the MLB page. Dodgers have like 15 guys that work in their front office just hunkering down on what to do. 
obviously Josh Burns is another big name. He's been around baseball for a while. He's an assistant to Andrew Freeman. And then they had Alex Anthopoulos for a couple of years until he left to become a president or GM of the Atlanta Braves. And obviously that's worked out for Atlanta because they just won a world series. So yeah, I mean, don't expect Friedman to take a step back or anything. Just as I said, it's a pay, it's a pay bump for uh, Mr. Gomes. Yeah. And, and to that point also about um, just kind of these guys that work in the background, I, I read something, uh, an article about how the enviable job in major league baseball in the front office is the assistant GM because they don't have to really answer to the media. They're not the face of the team. And so when you get elevated to that GM role or that uh, president of baseball operations role, then you have to come out, then you have to do press conferences, then you have to answer for decisions that you make. So those jobs are pretty enviable because they, they, you not only don't have to do all of that media stuff, but you get paid well and you get it to kind of work in the background. And then Andrew Friedman, sort of the, the mouthpiece. So Brandon Gomes gets elevated to this job. The, the, the Dodgers have uh, three, uh, now three assistant GMs. Um, Alex Slater was promoted to vice president and assistant GM. Uh, and he joins, uh, Jeff Kingston, um, and Damon Jones. So those are the three guys that are assistant GMs. And then of course, Gomes gets elevated to the GM role. Also, um, just of note, it's kind of cool that, uh, that Gomes, who was uh, a pitcher for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays was a pitcher when, uh, Andrew Friedman was the GM over there. So that's pretty cool. He was drafted by the Padres, traded to the Rays in 2010, and he pitched all five seasons with the Rays. And then he joined the Dodgers um, after his retirement in 2016. He went from minor league pitching coordinator to director of player development. And then for the past three years, he's been the vice president and assistant GM. And I do want to ask you guys a quick off-the-cuff trivia question, if you could answer this. I I found this pretty cool. So Gomes is now one of four active GMs who have had major league experience. Can you name the other three? That's a good question. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's active GMs who have had... Chris Young. Yep, Chris Young of Texas. Yep, just paid Corey Seager. Who's also like six ten, uh, and then uh, we got one American League team and one National League team. What division? Give me, give us the divisions. All right, so we've got one in the AL West and then one in the NL East. Billy Bean would have been an answer, but I don't think he is on that list anymore. No, he's not. I don't think he's a. I don't think he's the GM. Okay, well, it's not Kim Ng. I, I can I can promise you that. <laughs> That's a great process of elimination, there, David. <laughs> Uh, the Mets is, I don't, Sandy Alderson, I think is still their GM. So it's not him. Nationals is Rizzo. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Phillies is it, is it's not still Ruben Amaro. I think that was a long time ago. It's not still him, but it is the Phillies organization. Yeah. I don't know. Who is it? He was a journeyman outfielder. Um, Sam fold. Oh, wow. That's right. And then the other one that I, I don't think you guys are going to get this one. Cause I didn't, I didn't even know he played, um, which is Seattle's Jerry DePoto. 
Oh yeah, I didn't. I would never guess that. Yeah. Anyway, continue. That's yeah. That's way too hard. But yeah, you mentioned Brandon Gomes, how he rose pretty quickly, and then Damon Jones. You mentioned he's the new hire as the assistant GM, and no, he's not the former NBA basketball player because I had to double take that when that was <laughs> announced. He has a lot of experience. He looks like he was part of the Nationals organization for about 14 seasons. Then did a, did a little quick stop with the Washington Football Club, and now he's with the Dodgers. Another hire that Freeman seems to be very stoked about, so we'll see what he brings to the table. And then there were some other uh, changes that I didn't even know about until I was just reading about it recently. The Dodgers have a new head athletic trainer, mm-hmm. Thomas Albert, who spent six seasons as the assistant. He gets the uh, promotion, which is probably much needed after last season. Whoever was running that I did, did not apparently yeah. keep these guys healthy. Yep. I, I clamored all year long. Like, let's let's get in a new staff. Neil Rampy is gone. See so. you later, Neil. Never I, – I didn't even know that. I didn't even know his name. They've had a lot of different athletic trainers over the years. Much they needed a, change they had there. a female for, like, one season. Yes, like Sue Falsoni or something like that. Yeah, and then if I, think I say the, so, right? Yeah, it sounds good to me. Then the one that replaced her, he recently got hired by the Marlins. So, yeah. um, and then let's see what else. And then finally, Rob Hill was promoted to the director of minor league pitching. Pretty cool story about Rob Hill. Went from driveline to getting a job with the Dodgers, and now he's running the show. Basically, I like that promotion. Uh, I like that we're continuing to dive into the new style of pitching. Uh, the spin rate, all that kind of stuff. And I think he's going to do big things for the minor leaguers. And who knows, maybe we'll talk to him soon. The cool thing about him is that he's worked with a lot of current Dodgers, um, Clayton Kershaw, Kenley Jansen at driveline. He also worked with Alex Wood. Uh, In fact, Alex Wood got hooked up with him because Trevor Bauer knows him and hooked him up when uh, Alex Wood was at the Reds. Um, But yeah, pretty, pretty cool story about how he, uh, was actually rehabbing at driveline before he became an instructor and was able to add a ton of velocity to his fastball while he was still in college. Um, never panned out for him uh, pitching wise, um, but he parlayed that into a career. Um, he's also helped develop uh, Josiah Gray before he got dealt, but uh, Ryan Pepio, Bobby Miller, and Landon Knack have also worked with him. Wanted to give you guys an update. In terms of the MLB pipeline, which Dodgers have made the top 100 prospects throughout Major League Baseball? Five Dodgers made that list. Number 28th overall, Diego Cartaya. We've heard his name for quite some time now, and he's still really young, but the the potentially superstar catcher in the making should be seeing the Major Leagues probably by 2023, if I had to guess. At uh, 61, the top pitcher is Ryan Pepio. You guys just mentioned his name. He's now represented by Scott Boris, so that kind of sucks. Coming in at number 75, (laughs) this is an infielder I'm kind of stoked for. He might make his major league debut this season. Michael Bush, you look at his minor league OPS, it was in the mid-800s. Guy has some power as well, so if the Dodgers need a second base, maybe at some point this season, we could see Bush get the call. Not too far behind at 78th overall, Bobby Miller, another pitcher that I think he's going to be a perennial ace in the near future, and he could make his 
debut other spot starter out of the bullpen this upcoming season. And then finally at 100, Andy, Andy Pages. He has a He's, weird, he has risen an insane amount in those rankings in just a small amount of time. There's a ton of buzz on that dude. Yeah. He has insane power and he is, I think he only played an A ball last season, but yeah, he went from a long way of being just a throw in, in that angels trade that yeah, Artie he Moreno, should be an angel <laughs> that Artie Moreno said, you know what? I don't like what's going on here. So I'm going to keep Luis Renjifo, even though you guys offered me Jock Peterson, Ross Stripling, and now a top 100 prospect. What were we thinking? I, it was a sal- I think it was just a salary dump. Honestly. I know, but Jesus. <laughs> that, that <laughs> I, was- I'm getting mad about that deal. It didn't even happen. But- <laughs> Man. Kind of- it almost rivals the fields for Jordan Alvarez trade. Yeah. Not, not even close, but I mean, it could have Jock Peterson was pretty big in that 2020 postseason. Who knows what happens if he's not there? Yeah. I mean, that's fair, but talent wise, it's not nearly as much of a disaster. And we ended up getting uh Kendall Williams and I believe Ryan Noda, I think from Toronto for stripling. So thanks Artie Moreno. Another random topic that, we have never discussed, but I wanted to throw it your guys' way. Major League Baseball or minor leagues, they want to experiment with robot umpires, and so they're going to actually implement that in AAA. I didn't read if it's for, throughout the whole season or just select games, but I wanted to get your guys' take here. Are you down for robotic umps behind home plate? I hate it. I Here's why I hate it. I... I obviously want there to be a more consistent strike zone. I want there to be less games decided by the home plate umpire, as we've seen with that umpire scorecard that comes out now after every game. Uh, that's That guy's got a great account. But I think something that we've all talked about, one thing uh, David's harped on quite a bit, which is the umpires just need to be better at what they do. Um, and the umpires union or major league baseball needs to weed out the ones that aren't good and remove them or give them less important games and, and basically get new blood into this, you know, umpiring pool because umpiring is, is like a Supreme court justice appointment. Like it's literally till, till death. Right. And that's the only way that a spot opens up is if an umpire pretty much literally dies or retires. And so <laughs> that's basically what you have here. And so you got guys that are just hanging on forever, like Joe West, and they're just not, you know, improving the game and they're making it worse. So I just think that the umpires, the umpire, the umpire needs to be better. The umpiring pool needs to be better. And also instant replay just needs to be better overall. Anyway, I, I like instant replay, but it takes too long. It slows down the game. And I think if you consider the call on the field, I don't like that. I feel like it should just be whatever the call was on the field was on the field, but who's ever looking at the replay in New York or wherever they are, just look at it from an unbiased perspective. Don't, don't consider the call on the field, see what you see on camera and make the decision. I'm, I'm in the middle here. Uh, I was very against robot umpires and then it's just gotten so bad behind the plate. It has been atrocious. Last year was the worst I've ever seen it. Uh, so I like this. I like that they're kind of moving it up the ranks. Uh, I forget. I don't know if it was single A, they, single A or double A. They were doing robot umps last year, but I like that they're going to do it in triple A. 
for two reasons. One, test it against higher competition. And two, put some pressure on these goddamn umpires. Uh, I mean, they feel the robots right below them now. Uh, I mean, th- these robots are right on their ass. There's nowhere else for these robots to go but take their own jobs. So if anything, it, it should put some pressure on these guys to, to fucking tighten it up and, and do your job better because it was horrendous. There was like two good umpires last year. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't like it for base umpires, obviously. I don't think there's a way to, to even do that unless you no. put something in the base or, or do something. Uh, but balls and strikes, I like it. I'm going to see how it goes in AAA. Yeah, I'm more open-minded to it, especially with last season. I would like to actually see them test it out in spring training so that we could see it with Major League Baseball players and kind of just get a glimpse of what their reaction to it would be. Yeah, that'd be cool. Because I feel like umpires should not be even relevant to a game, if we're being honest. They should be objective and consistent. You should know what a ball and a strike is every single game. And I feel like some of these umpires are trying to make themselves above the game of baseball like the Angel Hernandez is out there and the Joe West who, thank God, he retired. But, yes, point stands. They need to clean it up. I just like the human aspect of it, and I feel like the more we move towards electronics, the less human uh, it it becomes, obviously. Um, So that's my only thing. I just think, you know, you can't stop the inevitable, and if it does work out in the minor leagues, obviously they're going to use it in the major leagues because that will just eliminate any confusion or any arguments that may occur from the the managers or any of the players in the dugout. But I just feel like you know there there are human beings on the on the ball field; they make mistakes too, and you know you you, you got to live with those mistakes as well, and. I agree. I don't like when, when umpires decide, you know, uh, fair, fair, foul in in the grand scheme of things, not in the literal sense um, in terms of the outcome of of a game. But I do like that it is, is still human. There are still human beings that make, that make these calls that are trained to make these calls. They just have to be better at it. Yeah. I mean, I get your point, but I feel like tennis has mastered this for the most part. And I don't really give a shit about umpires. I just care about the players on the field. So that's where I stand. Yeah. But in tennis, it's like, you know, it's, it's one, it's one call, right? It's like, it it, it happens so quickly. And I feel like balls and strikes, you know, they have to figure it out. Right. I mean, I think, I think, isn't the system like that there are, you know, some sort of, uh, some sort of technology that can, that can pinpoint when it's a ball or a strike. And then it alerts the home plate umpire, whether it's a strike or a ball and the umpire has to relay the message. Yeah. So if that can happen really quickly and really fast, then that's fine. It does. It's it's instant. That's that's what it would be. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a system that tracks the ball as it goes through the zone or whatever. And it rings green or red or whatever. Big baseball hall of fame. Yeah. I got plenty on this. There was one player elected with approximately 77%. The DH, second ever, I believe, David Ortiz. I have nothing against David Ortiz himself, so congrats to Ortiz. But go ahead, David. So they kind of got it right here. Uh, They were close. But the thing that I don't understand is, how do you vote for David Ortiz and not vote for Barry Bonds? That's what I don't understand. Uh, Ortiz was popped for steroids in 2003. Uh, he vehemently denies it. Uh, he's never, he's been fighting that narrative his entire career pretty much. And to this day, 
but he, he got popped for steroids. And I, I just, it doesn't make sense how you can vote for one guy with steroids and, and not the other obvious choices who are Hall of Fame careers if you can get past the steroids. So when I say they kind of got it right, they kind of got it right because they didn't vote in Bonds. They didn't vote in Clemens. They didn't vote in A-Rod, uh, but they voted in Ortiz. So what should have happened is none of these cheaters should have got in. Not one. You want to build a separate steroid ring of the hall of fame, let all the cheaters in deck the walls with needles and Balco memorabilia and all that crap, put them in their own wing. So they kind of got it right. I'm very happy. Barry Bonds didn't get in the hall of fame. Uh, We've talked about this at length on here. Yes. The stats, even without steroids would probably put him in the hall of fame, but he made a choice. They all made a choice to cheat the game, to cheat themselves, to cheat the other, other players, to cheat their teammates uh, and that those choices have consequences, especially for Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens. Uh, and I, I frankly, I don't know how David Ortiz got in first ballot, given this whole steroid thing. It, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's basically because he was well-liked by the writers, whereas Barry Bonds is a world-renowned asshole, uh, and Clemens is not very well-liked either. So that's kind of what it is. It's always been politics, uh, but my hat's off for not voting in Bonds and Clemens who are going to get in at some point through some other Avenue, but uh, I give him a C plus for, for the overall effort this year. I think you, you touched on it there a little bit, but it, it is about David Ortiz being universally loved, not only by Red Sox fans, but across the country, uh, big poppy. I mean, he's a happy go lucky, really nice guy. Uh, great in the community, all of that jazz, one of the clutchest players ever. Um, so that's, that's why he gets in, you know, bonds is, is, is a prick. Clemens is, is a prick. Uh, you know, all of these guys that didn't get in that did steroids are, are, you know, not, not well liked by, by the majority of the people. Um, but the thing that, uh, that bothers me the most about some of the ballots that we did see that were made public is some picked and choose picked which steroid guys they were going to vote for and which ones they weren't. And I don't think that makes any sense because if you look at the careers of A-Rod and Sheffield and Manny Ramirez and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, based on their careers, based on what they did, they should all be Hall of Famers. But you can't sit there and tell me you're going to vote for Clemens and Bonds and not vote for Manny Ramirez and not vote for A-Rod. That makes absolutely no sense. All of those guys are Hall of Famers based on their careers. The only thing that detracts from them is that they took steroids. I just love seeing all the reactions of people, whether it was online or just TV as well, having their day runes because Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens didn't make (laughs) the Hall of Fame. Like, I can understand if you're a Giants fan or I guess a Astros fan, because that was a player that you probably grew up rooting for and was a childhood hero, but like Dodgers fans or Padres fans or Yankees fans that are online saying, yeah, my day is ruined. This is unjust. The system is rigged. It's like, let's go back to the circle and remember that these guys cheated the game of baseball and you were pissed when the Houston Astros cheated against your team in the playoffs or in, a, in the regular season. So what makes Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens or A-Rod any different? Because a cheater is a cheater. Yeah. And then you got the, the really extreme side of it, which is 
guys like Ben Verlander accusing Babe Ruth of murdering his wife. Yeah, I'm like, going to get to that. Don't worry. That That is just just awful and just and horrible. And he didn't have any, any evidence to promote it. And I know you're going to get into it, David, but isn't it isn't it just rich that guy defending Barry Bonds not being voted into the Hall of Famer when when his own brother was on a the the cheatiest team in the history of baseball? A natural alliance, uh, uh, the brother of a cheater defending arguably the biggest cheater in baseball history. I saw some people saying like. Mickey Mantle and Babe Ruth shouldn't be Hall of Famers because they used alcohol while they were playing. Yeah, if anything, you if you're playing, me? if you're playing drunk, th- more props to you because that shit must be harder. Yeah, Babe Ruth would like smoke cigars and like chow down hot dogs like before he hit a 450 foot bomb. Like now you got all these guys like vegans and drinking green juices and doing all these physical therapies. Babe Ruth was just some fat, full of talent just bro who was just not taking care of his body whatsoever and just still one of the best players of all time and spare me you know what i you know what else i hate when people say like oh babe ruth today would be like the worst player in baseball shut up just (laughs) shut up first of all you have no idea if that's true second of all it's not his fault he was playing against half of the players were like plumbers or handymen it's not his fault he was the best player of that era by far the skills we don't know if they would translate i don't know if he could hit a 95 mile an hour fastball or how about a 102 mile an hour fastball with tail from bruce r gratterall would babe ruth probably strike out yeah but shut the hell up with that it's the worst analogy ever you can't compare people from today's game to, to 70 years ago it's just a ridiculous ridiculous comparison so I still think Babe Ruth would be a great player today for the record. Uh, But yeah, I mean, look to Kevin's point. I agree. I mean, you're not going to compare, you know, drinking and smoking cigarettes and cigars and chowing down on Dodger dogs with any of that. So these people are just stupid. I think they're just actually stupid people. Let's dive into some rumors. What kind of is annoying is here we are January 27th and usually teams are basically done by now they've assembled their roster pitchers and catchers report spring training is just a month away but no we are at a crossroads where a lot of teams are still very incomplete that includes this Dodgers staff obviously Clayton Kershaw is still a free agent Kenley Jansen's a free agent and there's some superstars still a free agent but one of the rumors I wanted to talk about is that apparently the Atlanta Braves were talking to the Oakland Athletics for trading Matt for trading for Matt Olson, which I kind of found really interesting because you know what that tells me? Freddie Freeman to the Dodgers, baby. Keeping that dream alive. Good. Piss off Freddie Freeman more, yeah. Atlanta. Well, yes, but I, I don't know if you can read into it that much. I think every team is going to have a contingency plan. Uh, I think the Dodgers have one right now for if Clayton Kershaw retires or or signs elsewhere, which he, which he is not going to. I, I stand by that. But, uh, yeah, I think that's just a contingency plan. And then another, this isn't a rumor, but Carlos Correa switched agents. He now has Scott Boris. So, in my mind, that officially eliminates the Dodgers from contention in the Carlos Correa race. Dude was not happy. He, I think he was hoping to get, I think, what, what was it? But $330 million was what the floor he was hoping to get. But I guess, realistically, he wants $350 million. But I think, Carlos, you've kind of waited too long because good luck. I don't think you're getting what you're 
hoping for because honestly, who's even left out there to pay him? You got the Astros who have been shortchanging him. And then you hear the Cubs are apparently rumored to be in the mix, but I don't understand why the Cubs would want to overpay for Correa. You want to hear my dark horse candidate for him? Orioles. (laughs) The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I think that's a very real possibility that people aren't looking into. Artie Moreno is, is well known to not care about his pitching staff. Uh, I think they aren't trying to waste Mike Trout and Shohei Otani anymore. And I think if there's not an elite starter, you're going to pay that money. That's the guy you pay. Good. So they'll lose 11 to 10. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) But keep an eye on the angels for Carlos Correa. I'm telling you. I mean, I'm not going to say no because they've done this before with Anthony Rendon when they should have attacked starting pitching. So would not surprise me. Um, What was the other thing? Oh yeah. So Alden Gonzalez of ESPN recently published an article. I don't know if he was high or just wanted some attention, (laughs) but he threw out the idea, which is just insane that the Dodgers should consider trading Justin Turner for prospects. Why? And who, and who would take that deal? It doesn't even work. It's not even worth addressing, honestly. I mean, it, it makes no sense for neither party involved. And there's not even a team on the other side of the trade yet. I mean, who, who are you going to trade Justin Turner for and, and why? Yeah, it's, it's pretty a uh, poor taste, but my uh, take like, on it are is we ta- that- Are we tanking? Are the Dodgers tanking this year? Are we just trading some veterans for, for future picks? Like, what are we doing? That would just totally send a message the wrong way to the clubhouse. They are not going to trade their team leader because yeah. it is just well known at this point that Justin Turner is the heart and soul and the leader of the clubhouse. And, you know, at the age of 38, I don't even see what kind of haul you could get in to begin with. I know that when the Dodgers acquired Chase Utley from the Phillies, they gave up some guy that's not even in Major League Baseball anymore. So be kind of a similar scenario. Um, but yeah, I mean, this might be Justin Turner's final year as a Dodger, and they're not going to screw him of the opportunity of going out in Dodger blue. Yeah. Also, who's who would play third? I mean, you know, like there's no clear third base option other than Justin Turner at this moment. He led the team in games played last year. I would like to reiterate. (laughs) He had a great year. Can't ask for much more. Do we want to throw out the idea of the Gavin Lux trade rumors or save that for another time? I don't want to get David too angry. Go ahead. I mean, we're doing stupid ideas, so you might as well throw another one out there. Well, I mean, the, the Gavin Lux trade rumors are more conceivable than Justin Turner because you could get something for Gavin Lux. You could get a good starting pitcher like a Luis Castillo out there. And that would, you know, pave the way for, you know, them signing Freddie Freeman and moving Muncie over to second. I mean, the, all of that could, could, ha- could happen. And then you have Trey Turner at short and you figure out what to do with him later. But yeah, I mean, you know, if, if Gavin Lux can, can get you, Uh, like a phenom starting pitcher, like a Luis Castillo, of course I'd entertain it. But I think that at at the moment, I would like to see what we still have with Gavin Lux. I don't feel like we've seen the full potential yet because he hasn't been healthy and he hasn't had the starting job at the same time. So both those need to happen. 2022 is going to be kind of a determinate year for Gavin Lux, in my opinion, because if I'm being quite honest, my patience is starting to get a little thin with Lux. 
Now I understand that 21 was essentially his first full season, but if we're being honest here, he's kind of done less so far in his major league career than for example, Matt Beatty has. So if there is this scenario out there where Gavin Lux can fetch you a borderline ace, such as Luis Castillo, or maybe even Shane Bieber somehow out there, I would definitely pull the trigger and I'm cool with that. With that being said, I would not want to trade Gavin Lux for Chris Bassett or Frankie Montaz. I think that's kind of selling him short there, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I just don't know where to really, I stand on Gavin Lux. I, there, there was a lot of great strides with him last season, but there was also a lot of poor strides and, defensively he was not very good and offensively yeah he had some good streaks and a couple big bombs but you just look at the stat sheet and his numbers don't really scream major league star by any means not even starter really so we've seen what gavin lux can be uh there was a stretch of about three weeks there in 2021 where he looked like an all-star uh, he was getting on base nonstop. He had some power, doubles, singles, using his speed, everything. And that's what they're going to need more of consistently. Uh, they don't need him to be an all-star. They need him to be consistent because if he is consistent, the talent is going to carry him alone. Uh, he's still young. He still hasn't really had a fair shot at it. I mean, he's been forced to go into different positions. Uh, he had to take over for Seager when he got hurt. Uh, they put him in the outfield, which was unfair, but I can promise you this. They believe in him. Uh, and the only way they're ever going to trade him is if they get a massive haul back. Uh, and I don't believe that that's the case. And I don't think they're going to trade him. I, could they trade him? Yeah. I, I mean, there's only a couple guys in major league baseball who are basically untradeable. Uh, and he's not one of them. Obviously, I, everybody knows I'm a huge believer. I still think he's going to have a big year. But I agree with Kevin. I think this is a big year for him. He's finally got to show that he can do it consistently. We've seen it in spurts. Uh, we've seen it for a couple weeks here and there, a month there, and then it just kind of disappears. What they need from Gavin Lux is consistent. Yep. And I think they're going to give him every opportunity because we've already seen them essentially groom, groom him into the next utility man. Doesn't mean he's going to be spot starting but he could be starting every day in different positions just like chris taylor does well cool. i think he's gonna have a uh, i think he's gonna have a lock on one of the middle infield positions but we'll see obviously, i guess that, obviously second base for this year but in the future he could be a shortstop i guess that just depends on who they sign and if there's a dh or not because you have to start chris taylor somewhere yeah and aj pollock is taking left in my opinion no, there's your, there's your DH right there. Chris Taylor is going to be the left fielder. Hey, don't short gold glove finalist AJ Pollock like that. <laughs> that was a joke, man. <laughs> cool. Um, the last Dodgers thing I wanted to bring up real quick, and then we're going to dive into the miscellaneous and things that you guys want to talk about. Tomorrow, on, this, on that day, January 28th, the Dodgers sign – Jose Lima to a one-year contract. And what I wanted to just bring out, bring up with Jose Lima is I recently was revisiting the, his pitching performance in that NLDS game. And that is some electric stuff. He really Elite. brought it. It was, and Sean Green had two home runs in that game. That is just old school classic Dodgers right there. 
And then on that note, I feel like Jose Lima might be one of the most popular bad pitchers ever. Do you know what his career ERA is? 475. Higher. 523. 501. It's 526. With the Dodgers that one year, he had an ERA in the low fours, but he actually had a FIP slightly above five. Lima time. Lima time. And that that one game was great because at the at the time the Dodger in, in our lifetimes, the Dodgers had never been to the postseason. I feel like that was the first time that they had been to the postseason. Or that so, was the farthest they've gone, at least. That was was that the NLDS? That or was the N- NLDS. Okay. NLDS. And yeah, it was only four teams. And it was the um it was the only playoffs that or or maybe I'm I'm confusing. That was that that was the Steve Finley year, right? Yeah. Right. So that was the only season that they went to the playoffs with, uh, with Sean green. And, uh, that was an amazing, uh, win for him. Uh, I I remember that it was, it was so electric and he was the only starting pitcher in that series that actually had a good outing. I feel. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. I'm going to pass the torch over to one of you guys to throw out whatever. All right. I'll go. I want to, I want to keep doing this segment. Uh, this is going to be, I forget what I called it to you guys. Uh, worst tweet. Yeah. Just worst tweet of the week. Uh, and this can be any, any topic really. Uh, let's, let's, let's my, get rid of politics, but any other, any other topic. Uh, and today's is a no brainer and Jake has already touched on it already. Ben Verlander is out of his damn mind. Uh, <laughs> he is attention craved and just, I, I don't know what the hell's going on there. But he wins my worst tweet of the week award. I'm going to read it to you right now. And it's actually two tweets, so it's a little exchange. Ben Verlander, woke up thinking about how Babe Ruth set his poor wife Helen on fire, yet the moral gatekeepers are keeping Barry Bonds, the greatest hitter of all time, out of the Hall of Fame. And then Daddy Dimu TV asked, did this happen? And Ben said, obviously don't know. But if you read into it, the timing and clues are real sketchy. Are you are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're just going to just claim that Babe Ruth just set his wife on fire and murdered her. And when someone asks you, you're like, eh, maybe. I don't know. Obviously, I don't know. It, mm, I, I, don't, I don't really know. I'm, I'm just talking. I, I, I legitimately hope someone in Baber's family is alive so they can sue him uh, for defamation of character or, or something because what the hell are you talking about, man? I, I, I did a little research on this and there's like one article from a very, very suspect source that basically says like, yeah, like he was estranged from his wife and then it was under like peculiar peculiar circumstances. There is zero factual evidence that this happened. Ben Verlander just casually saying Babe Ruth murdered his wife. Get out of here, bro. You win worst tweet of the week. What the hell are you doing, bro? Also, if I could add to that, Ben Verlander is not just some Joe Schmo troll on, on Twitter. Exactly. He, he works for Fox. MLB on Fox. <laughs> like if, if I'm, if I'm his supervisor or employer or whomever and see that I'm going to have a very serious conversation with Ben, if not suspend him or fire him or whatever, because that is just really bad. <laughs> that's, that's really bad. 
you 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 can't go accusing people of murder. What? And, and then and then, like you said, when questioned about it, oh, I mean, sure, it could have been true. Maybe I, I don't maybe, know. Maybe I don't know. What do you mean? You you there was no maybe I don't know in the first tweet. It was pretty, pretty. You know, you were pretty certain about it. So as as someone and I know, uh, David, you have a, a background in journalism as a as a current reporter on TV working for uh, CBS like that is a fireable offense. You, you cannot do that. That is no. inexcusable. And you're right. He is one of those attention, you know, attention seeking guys where he just tweets things because he wants likes and he wants replies and that's it. And not only that, the purpose of the tweet was to cape for a steroid users hall of fame case. That's when you threw out that Babe Ruth maybe murdered his wife by setting her on fire bro like are you insane i i would love to have him on here just just so i could ask him are you insane (laughs) that would be my first question i would read him the tweet and just say are you insane i mean that is that is some in psychopath shit right there what the hell are you doing I don't remember if it was the postseason or just during the Astros. Didn't he like take pictures of like Astros hate mail or something at Dodgers? Yeah, no, no, no. He, what he did was he he took a picture of it was like a card saying like something about the cheaters, something at Dodger Stadium, and it looked like he brought it from home and like exactly. took a picture of it to like show online. It, it looked like like That's, the FBI like planting something and being like, oh look at the look at that. That's what like, I was getting at is that this dude is just trying to get as much clout as one can because he has to live in the shadow of his brother. And it's like dude, we don't care that you're Justin Verlander's brother. Like just be yourself, dude. Like you don't need to do this do all this for attention. Like, dude, if that's cool, you work for MLB or Fox, I don't care. Just stop being an annoying little brat who capes for steroids and cheaters. And, and, and accuses people of murder and, and arson and setting your wife on fire, you psychopath. Just, yeah, it's just, his tweets are very cringy too. Just, just very cringy. Unacceptable. That's, that's my worst tweet of the week award. And I hope to keep this up. So if you're listening, uh, I know some of our loyal listeners uh, would love this. So just tweet me uh, some suggestions. I think we, what we should do is, you know how they used to do on Sports Center, where they would have like a like they do their top ten every night, but then they would have like the best of top ten, and would the number one that night beat the one that has been in the running since then? I feel like, I feel like that. You want tweet, me to catalog this? Right. So saying. keep that tweet, which I think it's going to be hard to top. Um, <laughs> and 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 we each week we come up with new ones and we and we compare them to that. Number one tweet. Okay, done. I usually save my bad tweets for when the season gets going. More of a, I like to more call out Dodgers takes, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> Chuck, there's, there's no surplus of idiocy oh, on yeah. Twitter, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, forgot to mention that the Dodgers signed 32 international free agent signings. Don't <laughs> nice. know how they're going to fit all these guys, but I nice segue. Have to throw it out there. Did any of them set their wives on fire? <laughs> no, but they could have. Yeah. There's one Asian pitcher that I'm really excited for, but he just got Tommy John surgery I saw in that July. Guy. Yeah, I forget so his name, though. 
probably going to miss uh, most of next season, but he's getting early comparisons to Walker Bueller in terms of just the mechanics and the fastball velocity. That's so, exciting. All right. I haven't had a left field, but I'm saving it just in case I'm saving it for this episode. I wanted to save it in case there's anything else you guys want to throw out there before I get into that. Um, quick out of left field for me, uh, something that I tweeted today, which it, I, I just, I don't know, just a crazy thought that I had, but you know how when like you call like your doctor or like a pharmacy or whatever, and, or, or even like just like the normal, like fire station or police station, if you're trying to, you know, get some information about something like the, the automated message is always, if you're in an emergency or if you have an emergency, hang up and dial 911. And I always find that funny because I, if I was having an emergency, if I was shot or stabbed or something, why would I call my pharmacist? <laughs> and at what point, and at what point during the process or me hearing that automated message, do I go, oh shit, maybe I should call 911. I'm bleeding out on my floor. Let me, let me go, let me get the, let me get the right help. It's sort of like the, you know, the instructions on an airplane of how to put on your seatbelt. It's like, I think we know by now what we do in an emergency. This right. has to be just some type of liability protection where. No, it totally is. I, no, I, I know it's some sort of legal thing, but it just, it just cracks me up every time. Cause I'm like, who the hell is like listening to this being like, oh yeah, I think they're talking to me. Yeah. I mean, if your passion in life is finding ways to sue people, I'm not going to judge you because it's. It's all fair, but someone probably out there tried to call their pharmacist, was like, I need medical advice. And then someone on their end probably fed them the wrong advice and something bad happened and that set up a lawsuit. Yeah, that's, that, that, definitely, that definitely has a better chance of happening than Babe Ruth murdering his wife in a fire. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right. I'm going to need probably four or five minutes here because I'm pretty passionate about my out of left field today. Okay. All right. I'll get comfortable. <laughs> Are you guys familiar or aware of the, when we were young music festival that's set to play set to take place in Las Vegas this coming yep. October. Yep. I'm interested to hear your take on this because I've heard some people call it a fire festival or some people yeah, call I'm, it I'm the gonna best get, thing of all time. Yep, so let's, let's, let's hear it. We're getting into that. So I actually purchased a pass. I'm going to the inaugural day doesn't matter when that is, but it's in October, Las Vegas, as I mentioned. Some of the headliners include My Chemical Romance and Paramore, and then the undercard, Bring Me the Horizon, Avril Lavigne, Taking Back Sunday, A Day to Remember, a Dashboard Conventional, the list goes on and on. But it instantly sold out, which I actually kind of found a little bit surprising, just like this new music festival out of nowhere, instantly selling out probably sixty to 80,000 tickets a day, which is crazy because pop punk and emo is my favorite music genre. So there was so much nostalgia involved. This is kind of what I was listening to in middle school and high school. So I'm stoked to go, but yeah, let me get into this. Cause I'm here to call out all the idiots that think this is, this is like the next big scheme or the biggest scam like of the year. So let me be the first to tell you that live nation is actually one of the biggest music entertainer promoters in the world. And yes, I know Astro world, which was an event, put on by them and Travis Scott obviously it was chaotic and I'm I was sorry to hear like the victims involved but we're talking about a company with a 24 billion dollar market cap and I hate see people online acting like Live Nation is here to scam people and like they're going to take your money and run they put on 100 festivals a year they put on 
thousands of shows a year. This isn't like their first rodeo or anything. But here we are, we see online and the TikTok and Instagram, the people with their tinfoil hats acting like this is the next Firefest 2.0 in the making. And they're just grabbing their popcorn, being haters, ready for this thing to just absolutely collapse, which is not going to happen, first of all. And what's different about Firefest compared to this is that, yeah, that Firefest had some entertainers, some rock artists and EDM and all that. But it wasn't a music festival first experience. It was a luxury experience. The way they got, got people in was you're going to take a fancy trip to the Bahamas. You're going to be pampered and stay in some luxury tent or whatever and have first class food. And obviously none of that came to fruition and it turned out to be one of the biggest schemes of 2018 or 2019, whenever that was. But when you go to fire or when you go to when we were young, you're not going out to the Bahamas on some island. You're going to Las Vegas. So yeah, if you go and there's no festival, guess what? You're not stranded or anything. You're going to get your money back. You can go to a casino and have fun. No, I heard there was no refunds though. So yeah, that's the next thing I wanted to get into. The no refunds is something that almost any music event or concert does. Okay, so So you're not going to get your money back though. You're going to get your money back if the event's canceled. Uh, That's not what no refunds means. No, it's no refund as in you change your mind. Like, I don't feel like going anymore. I want a refund. Or like two acts canceled that you were hoping to see, you get a refund. Okay. Coachella, the biggest music festival in the world, offers no refunds. EDC, same thing, no refunds. Bonnaroo, no refunds. Your local concert at the Greek Theater, I guarantee if you look at the ticket, it says non-refundable. Okay. And they Continue. do that because they do that because they don't want people flaking because think about how many people, if they bought a ticket and then change their mind like a month later, like, or they have plans, they're going to try to get a refund. That's just going to add up and cost the company money. So this whole non-refundable thing is not something new. It's actually more common than not. So, but yeah, people want to blow things out of proportion and act like 65 bands playing in one day. That's going to be impossible. How are they going to do that? Well, they're going to have multiple stages. First of all, they're going to have rotating stages so that there's no wait time in between sets. That meaning this band plays for 25 minutes, the stage will rotate and then the next band will instantly pay for 25 minutes. And I I don't know why people act like this is some new concept because guess what? Warp Tour has been doing this for years and they had 30, 40 bands a day as well. So it just really bothers me that all these idiots online think this is like the next big Ponzi scheme and they're just rooting for it to fail. All the haters out there are going to be crying in October when this is the most awesome festival, and they're just at home crying and probably begging that there's a stream. I, I have no take I, on – I'm not going. Uh, it looks fun, uh, but I also don't think it's a scam for what it's worth. That's all I got for now in terms of my out of left field. Is there anything else we need to talk before we close the show out? I do want to just say real quick, that uh, I'm looking forward to championship Sunday with the Rams and 49ers. I'm looking forward to Sean McVay finally taking it to Kyle Shanahan. The last six meetings have not gone the Rams way. They're Owen six against the 49ers and the Rams have the 49ers number. They do. They, they opposite. Ha- opposite. They, no, I'm what? saying that they had their, they had their number in week 18. Okay. Not overall. But I felt like of any of the matchups, any of the past six matchups, 
The Rams had the 49ers number in that week 18 and they took their foot off the gas. And that's why the Rams lost that game. If they are able to get out to any type of lead or if they were able to control the first half, they got to continue just running up the score, keeping their, uh, keeping their foot on their throats and just taking it to them because you let that team back in and you, you're going to get screwed in the end. So I'm hoping for big things on Sunday and I will be there covering it for uh, CBS and KCAL. So I'm super pumped about that. Nice. Uh, we did not record last week, so I couldn't give you guys my picks for the weekend, but for the divisional round, I did give out my picks here and I went five for six against the spread. So hopefully you tailed me and didn't fail. Uh, didn't fade me. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give you my picks again for this week. Both of these are absolute locks. Rams minus three, Chiefs minus seven. The favorites are going to win these games. They're on a collision course for the fight for the Super Bowl. Rams minus three, Chiefs minus seven. Parlam if you want. Both of them locks of the century. I think that if I were to bet on this game, I'd actually bet the 49ers or I should say the Rams won't cover, but I think the Rams are going to win this game. I literally think it's going to be a one-point game. I think it's going to be two th- uh, I think it's going to be down to the wire game-winning field goal just like last week. I think this these two teams it might not seem like it because Jimmy Garoppolo is not even in the same category as Matthew Stafford, but whatever Kyle Shanahan knows about McVay's system, it's worked the last six times. And Debo Samuel, that guy is just a beast, and he definitely scares me. He can rush. He can receive. Um, but this is where I think this is going to favor the Rams, is that the defense is just taking their game to a whole nother level. Aaron Donald – no one wants to win a championship more badly than this guy. I could make an argument that he is the best professional athlete active right now to not have a championship to his name. Mike Trout is obviously the other one and probably is the rightful candidate, but Aaron Donald is a close second or number one, depending on the case you want to make. But yeah, like I said, Rams by one might be the game of the century, but I'm feeling pretty confident. I think it's going to be a defensive battle. I really do. I don't know if any team's going to crack 21 points, but it it will be a Rams celebration this Sunday. Rams have to stop the run. They have to tackle. They got to protect the middle of the field. And Matthew Stafford's got to continue playing like an MVP, which he has been. He's been awesome in the playoffs. The Rams are going to win this game easily if the secondary can tackle. Uh, That's where they lost the game in week 18. Uh, these guys would get to the, the 49ers would get to the second level and nobody could tackle them, whether it was Mitchell uh, or Samuel or, or anybody. Uh, so if the, if the guys on the back end of the defense can tackle this, the Rams are going to win by 10, 14 points. All right. Sounds good to me on that note. I think we're going to end the show here because we're just out of topics and no major league baseball making our show a lot harder to do this, but we find a way. So thank you guys for listening. And like I said at the beginning of the show, subscribe, give us a five-star rating, follow us on Twitter. Descriptions are in the handle below. But yeah, you'll hear from us next week, and maybe we'll do a Super Bowl preview or something. Who knows? Anything is a possibility at this point. But with that being said, we're out. Go Dodgers!
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.